Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals bringing patients relief at last. Spinal stimulation is an implantable device consisting of two tiny wires connected to a battery that are placed alongside the spine. These wires emit a tiny electronic signal that blocks the pain signal that travels on nerves. Advanced Pain Care, 512-244-4272 or online, austinpaindoctor.com. Live and local, every afternoon, 2 to 4. This is Mark, Melinda, and Ed on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text them at 512 836 0590. Thank you all for having me on. Now, Mark, Melinda, and Ed. Howdy, Melinda. Hello there. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's beautiful outside. <laughs> Yes, it is. It's a great day. Hello, Ed. Hi, Mark. I'm Mel. Good Hi. afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Jack is here producing. Thank you for joining us. You just heard the update from Fox News on the killing of three U.S. soldiers at that base in Jordan and wounding of at least 40 over the weekend. Mm. What, if anything, does President Biden do in response to this, Melinda? Unfortunately, in my eyes, he's already blown it. He should have already sent a very clear message. Uh, yet here we are again, just sitting by. And I know they're, I guess they're trying to say, listen, we got, we got them on the ropes. They don't know when we're going to attack. Uh, we'll, we'll choose the time and the place and the, it, to me, it, it's too late. It, it's the same response that we have seen with over, what is it? Over 150 attacks uh, that have happened thus far and we have just sat twiddling our thumbs. Well, the New York Times has a story today. It says Biden's top aides have admitted they have failed to deter Iran's proxies with everything they've tried so far. We got to, uh, John Cornyn said it, we got to bomb someplace in uh, Iran. We've got to do that because we've got to send them a message. The Pentagon is saying we don't war with, I- we don't want war with Iran, but Iran uh, is, is, is testing us. At every which way with this this drone attack, we've got to hit them hard. We've got to go get some of their leaders out. We've got to wipe out where they're they're uh, sending those drones from. We got to do that. We got to send the message, Mark. We're not getting the me- they're not getting the message at all. You might remember about a week ago we were talking on Mark Melinda and Ed about a New York Times story that said Biden and his top aides knew this was inevitable that Iran's proxies would kill U.S. forces, and they dreaded it. Because it may require Biden to decide how to respond. Remember that discussion? Yeah. And they want us to look at him as the leader of this nation. He may respond when you have, and sadly, we said that would be the only thing that would push him to respond. And unfortunately, that may not even be what pushes him to respond. We should never have any of our soldiers killed never because never we were worried about escalating things and and that has been uh, communicated by the white house over and over and over the president is afraid he There's has a, a fear a as they put it of escalating the middle east war yeah i think he's got a fear of putin i think we've got we we we've got to we've got to be very very strong on this and very very forceful because the longer we take and not do anything, the more uh, brazen these Houthis and the other minions of Iran are going to be if we don't do anything. It's we've got to take action, and I, you know, 
I'm not sure. Joe doesn't want to do it. I know he fears a war, but sometimes you gotta you gotta send the message, Joe. You've got to do that. And remember, that, we're we're supposed to be the biggest superpower in the world. Got to send that message out. Here is Biden's National Security Council coordinator, John Kirby, with his thoughts. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime in a military way. Um, and as I said in the, in the opening, we're not, uh, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it. And it requires a response. Make no mistake about that. I will not get ahead of the president's decision making. Mm. Listen, I I know they don't want to start a war. The best way to not start a war is send a very clear message. How do they characterize what Iran and its proxies have been doing to us? Let's say since the Hamas attack on Israel in October, what do they call all of these 160 attacks on U.S. military personnel? It is a de facto act of war to me. That is an act of war. You're, you're picking at the giant, you're picking at the giant, you're getting more brazen. And we, I thought we had the line in the sand, no more, no moss, but that's, that's not happening. But oh, three, give three, me a break. The line in the sand that says no more? Oh, I know. It's, they it was don't a week. respond that, to a verbal don't. That's obviously. what I'm saying. That's and what we set back and did nothing, and we continue to have these strikes. It was just a matter of time that Americans would be killed, and Biden allowed for that to happen. And that is unacceptable. Not strong response any way, shape, or form. He hasn't, hasn't, has had none. And with the, 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 him, him releasing the sanctions on Iran when he took office, funneling money to them, uh, so it's been misstep after misstep. Some of the critics of President Biden have been saying reacting is exactly what he's doing. And that's not the way we should be handling Iran. We should be on offense. We should be setting the agenda rather than playing whack-a-mole and trying to hit these little proxies when they pop up from time to time. Yeah, to that point, retired uh, General Jack Keane released a statement that says, we don't take strong action until Americans get killed. We should have taken the strong action to prevent the Americans from being killed. That's so. That's what's so bothersome here. This administration has got to find some spine. Here is Republican Congressman Michael Waltz, who served as a Green Beret in the U.S. Army. They end every statement of we're going to defend ourselves, but we don't want this thing to spread. And what Iran hears from that is, well, we can let's let's take it to the next level and see what we can get away with next time. Exactly. Take it to the next level. Just testing. Testing, testing. It pretty much has given them free reign to continue because they've put out there, we don't want to escalate, we don't want to escalate. They hear they're not going to respond, they're not going to respond. Do you think that Biden will at least refreeze the billions of dollars that he unlocked for Iran? And number two, will he reimpose the sanctions on their sale of oil on the world market. I don't have a lot of faith that that will happen. He should do both, Mark. He should do both. He should we send should send a strong message militarily with some strike or strikes and we should do exactly what you just said. It will probably cause a spike in oil prices, but so what? You've got to shut them down. You've got to send message economically and militarily. 
Here are the numbers. You can join us with your thoughts at 512-836-0590. You can call, you can text to join the conversation. Uh, Mr. Biden's own aides tell the New York Times that uh, he and his aides acknowledge that whatever they've been doing so far to restore deterrence has failed at the objective. Restoring deterrence. Is that the deterrence that was established by Trump? What are they referring to there? I don't know, but Biden has done everything opposite of Trump. He put the he re- Moved those sanctions, gave them the money, took some people off the terrorist watch list. Um, We saw, at least we saw under Trump, who I don't think is a war-hungry individual. He doesn't want our troops there either. He responded quickly, and they they did not do another thing until Mr. Biden comes in and changes everything and shows we're weaker now. And now they have had the ability to continue striking our forces with almost little return. What we've done, maybe we've taken out a few equipment things here and there. We've taken some of their leaders out. We need to do more of that. Yeah, we need to do that. I read last week, heard today that we'd We'd taken one of the the rebel leaders out last week, but we got to do more than that. I hear Melinda saying Iranian officials need to go down. Is that? Yeah. I mean, come on. Let's get real. We all know who is the mastermind. That's where you that's where you have to take action. Not a. We got Solomon. Solomon. Yeah. The Iranian leader. That, that was w- Trump. Right, that was That's Trump. That's what she's saying. Yeah. Trump yes. did that. He that, took strong action. And guess up, what didn't yeah. happen after that? Yeah. It didn't happen until Biden got into office. All right, 512-836-0590. You can call, you can text us. It's 211 with Mark, Melinda, and Ed. Enjoy the podcasts of Mark, Melinda, and Ed at your convenience. You'll find them on NewsRadioKLBJ.com or via the free KLBJ app. 216, hope you're having a great day. We told you on Friday at least 12 employees of the United Nations Palestinian Relief Agency took personal actions in connection with the Hamas terror attacks on Israel. Now we're learning more about the extent of Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad involvement in this United Nations agency. It's called UNRWA, and today it's reported that 1,200 of UNRWA's employees are members of Hamas or Palestinian Jihad. Again, we should not be funded—we should not have— This is a Biden thing. He returned funding to this group that then sent this money with their ties to Hamas. And pretty much we joined in by paying for some of this attack that happened in Israel. That money was cut off before Biden came in in a flurry to make sure he undid everything. There just is no excuse for this man as president anymore. He is just... He's destroying a lot of things. He's highly dangerous. Extremely. A senior Israeli government official says uh, Irmwa's problem is not just a few bad apples. The institution as a whole is a haven for Hamas, the whole institution that we supported financially. Yeah, this had approximately 50% of the staff there, relatives with Hamas and the Islamic militant group. So, I mean, who could have foreseen that they potentially would help them out? 
Mm. And to underscore how deeply Hamas is embedded in that entire society in Gaza, seven of the killers who went into Israel on October 7th are school teachers Uh in the Gaza Strip, elementary and high school teachers. Mm -mm -mm. And we've told you on this show before that Hamas has written the textbooks that are used in the schools in the Gaza Strip. And that indoctrination begins at the earliest possible ages when they get into these UNRWA schools, these UN agency schools. It's, it's, it is unbelievable what we do. And I know we're going to talk about a story about Ukraine and lost money over there. Don't we think before we do things like restoring the funding to this organization with almost 50 percent tied with Hamas? What, what? No, we don't. And I don't know if there mm. was any thought put towards it besides well, Trump didn't want this, so we've got to take a different stance. I don't know if they did any kind of research. Like, should we be funding this? Should we be giving money to this? Or if it just was a simple, Trump didn't want to send money to it, he didn't, so let's overturn it. The head of the U.N. is pleading with the United States and the other countries that have suspended money for this U.N. agency in Gaza. The United Nations is saying you have to restore the money. This is the only agency putting relief, food, and other items into the Gaza Strip for these people. They depend on this agency. You have to restore that money ASAP. No, you don't have to do that. with. with, Yeah, you've got to find another way or another group that can go in and do that, Mark. Because for so many people to be antagonistic to Israel, um, non-sympathetic to Israel, for goodness sakes, teachers— Elementary school teachers and middle school teachers there with their guns slaying people. Some of the evidence uh, that's uh, basing this reporting has been obtained by the Israeli military in Gaza. They have captured Hamas computer systems, and they can see right there who's a member, who's on the payroll, etc. What do they do for a living? What did they do on October 7th? So it's all right there on their own computer systems. Then you have other evidence gathered by the Israelis, video evidence, et cetera, in Israel itself on October 7th. That's how they're, uh, they even know the names of these 12 U.N. employees who were involved in the terror attacks on October 7th. They're just not reporting them right now in the media. All right, 512-836-0590. You can weigh in with your thoughts. We also have news today that employees from a Ukrainian arms company have conspired with defense ministry officials to embezzle $40 million. It was supposed to be used to buy 100,000 mortar shells to be used against the Russians. Ukraine announced late Saturday five people have been charged, and they could be uh, facing 12 years in prison each for embezzling all of this money. I know this is a huge amount of money. This is a tremendous amount of money, but this is exactly what we said when we started sending money to Ukraine. We have to have accountability. You've got to have Americans on the ground acting as accountants and overseers, and it didn't happen. It's it's much like when we sent money to uh, Iraq, plane load after plane roll of cash, and we don't know where that cash went. Why don't we ever learn by our mistake? Because this is, this to me, this is, it's not really, really simple, 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 but it's common sense. Have people on the ground to get accountability. This is the exact reason why there needs to be a pause on the Ukrainian money, whatever is sent. There is corruption in Ukraine. There has been 
for a very long time. It, I know that that is what Zelensky ran on, trying to get the corruption out. He has been unsuccessful. And until we have, and I don't know that you can get 100% guarantee, but until we have either the oversight where we are there looking and, and making sure that it is done correctly, don't send anything else. Just don't because you don't know that it's actually going where it's supposed to be going. 512-836-0590-222 now. Mark, Melinda, and Ed, we go to Stephen in North Austin. Good afternoon. Stephen, how are you? Hey, good afternoon, guys. How are you doing today? Very well, Stephen. Welcome. Well, good. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to make a comment on funding of Hamas. Uh, Last week, the Jerusalem Post, and right after... I think it was like October 9th, uh, Israeli news Haaretz had reported that Netanyahu himself over the past couple of decades has been involved in helping fund and bolster Hamas. Um, there were similar reports at Wall Street Journal as well as, uh, I believe, Washington Post that Israel was kind of somewhat responsible in helping form Hamas as a counterbalance to uh, the Palestinian Authority. Stephen, uh, give us uh, some details. How was Prime Minister Netanyahu funding Hamas? So uh, the the quote, and it was in Jerusalem Post last week, um, also reported again by Haaretz, H-A-A-R-E-T-Z, news agency in, in, um, in Israel, but um, through uh, his Likud party, he basically uh, had made an effort um, in 2019 for uh, this report um, where he was trying to get his own party to help, quote, fund and bolster Hamas, end quote, as a counterbalance to the Palestinian Authority. Essentially, they, they didn't want to give uh, the Palestinian Authority which was more moderate, um, an opportunity to lead, because that would lead to a two-state solution. Stephen, Stephen, you started off by saying Netanyahu funded Hamas. That's correct. You you haven't backed it up with any details. You said he tried to get Likud involved, and you left it at that. What? How much did he send to Hamas? Well, it wasn't reported. I'm just telling you what was reported by Jerusalem Post. And her. All right, we'll look there's into a, that. Thank you. There's a story I just found in the New York Times that, that deals with this about, about Netanyahu gamble at a strong Hamas, but not too strong, would keep the peace and reduce pressure on the Palestinian state. It does not—I don't, I don't see where it says how much money, but they did acknowledge about a strong Hamas would—and they, they never believed Hamas would be capable of the attack that they did. That was from an article uh, in December of the New York Times, December 10th. So he has. You haven't found anything in there about Netanyahu sending money to Uh, Hamas? Not. not, It it was uh, Netanyahu. He uh, acknowledged the payments, but but did not did not say what the payments were. Yeah. He. he, What does it mean by acknowledge? He said we sent payments. Yes. He knew. Period. Allowing the payments, yeah. Payments this, for what? And this Intended be, for what? Billions of dollars over roughly a decade was a gamble meant by Mr. Netanyahu that a steady flow of money would maintain peace in Gaza. 
Well, they they also uh, set up a program that allowed Palestinians to leave Gaza and mm-hmm. work in Israel, and uh, with the with the goal of those people getting jobs yeah. and having a good steady income. Yeah, which is tough to do in Gaza. Does does that do you conclude that? He wanted Hamas to turn into this terror organization? No, I, I that would be a big I, leap. I conclude he wanted Hamas to balance out the Palestinian radicals. I, I'll, send, I'll, I'll send you this story, Mark. I can't. It's a long story. That, But the bottom line is our caller is, in essence, correct that Net, Netanyahu acknowledged the payments to, to Hamas. All right, 512-836-0590. Let's go to Keith on 620 on KLBJ. Keith, how are you this afternoon? Good. How are y'all doing? Fine, Keith. Welcome. Well, uh, Ed made a comment about, you know, how there's corruption. You know, you were talking about the corruption over in Ukraine. Yes. And, and, and Ed made a comment. He goes, how come we keep making the same mistakes over and over? And my input on that is maybe they're not. Maybe they, our government knows what they are doing the government over there knows what they are doing. I mean, we have politicians that are that go in making $125,000 a year and their net worth is less than a million dollars and come out multimillionaires. So, when you know to believe that the corruption isn't happening over there and here is a little naive. And I think I think it's But my it's, my point is sir that if we're sending this much money we've got to have somewhat accountability. I know there's graft everywhere people get rich at every turn but to have this so blatantly in people and it, the Ukrainians acknowledge this that the money is the money is gone and was going to be used oh, for oh, something I, else. I don't disagree with you. I think it's I think it is being it's there's a lot of corruption over there and I think it starts here at home where the money's being sent. And, you know, you and I, if we were loaning money some, to somebody, we would want some accountability to it, right? Sure, that's my well, point. Why, yeah. why, why do we not have that here? Well, maybe there's a reason. And maybe you got to think a little outside the box, and you can, you can call it conspiracy, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck. You know, you got politicians making multi-millions multi of dollars. How are they doing that? I mean, I can't do that. I mean, are, are you guys multimillionaires? I know I'm not. And and I can watch the stock market and try and play the market and have a 401k. But the reality is something's going on because they're talking about it over there. They've caught them over there. And we're the ones providing the money over there and just going, oh, here's a blank check. All right, Keith, thanks. You have a good one, sir. We'll get more of your comments worked in here just ahead right after the half-hour news, which is coming up next on KLBJ. Mark, Melinda, and Ed are on your radio at 99.7 FM or 590 AM. Now, here are Mark, Melinda, and Ed. If you're just joining us, among the stories we're discussing with you right now, President Biden and his advisors continue to huddle and try to decide what to do in response to the killing of the U.S. military in Jordan and wounding of more than 40. Three soldiers were killed. More than 40 were injured. The Biden administration says Iran has its prints all over this action, and the U.S. will respond at a time of its own choosing. We're also talking about an update today on the U.N. agency in Gaza, UNRWA, 
Uh, we told you on Friday at least 12 of its employees mm. had direct connections to the Hamas October 7th attacks in Israel. Now it's being reported today that 1,200 UNRWA employees are members of Hamas or Islamic Jihad. And we're also talking about another report indicating that Ukraine says it has caught some of its own employees embezzling $40 million. They've been arrested. This was money that was supposed to be used to buy mortar shells for the war against Russia. But these people have been caught, according to officials in Ukraine, and they will be punished. They could get up to 12 years in prison if found guilty. Mark wants to weigh in on that story out of Ukraine. Hello, Mark. How are you today? I'm having a good day today. Yeah, $40 million, that's 12 years in prison. That's not very long. But just to give you a basic example that your listeners could really easily understand is how bad it is. is What we do is, in a lot of ways, we give money to our own contractors who then send older equipment over to Ukraine and develop new equipment. So we're not just sending them direct cash. But if you want to know how bad it is, you can go on eBay right now and enter bulletproof vest or flak vest, and you'll see tons of military-grade vests for sale, and they are being shipped from the Ukraine. So that's how bad it is. From They're getting a lot of stuff, and they're reselling it, too. But eBay's got bulletproof vests, and they say right on there, from Ukraine. That's where they're being shipped from. So. It goes all the way down to the small items. Well, and that was part of the concern when we were sending over things, not not sure to make sure that they all got to the front lines for fighting, uh, that there was no way to see if shipments were stopped on the way, if they were being sold on the black market. Here, they're not even going through the black market, if what you say is true. They're just out and out selling it, not trying to hide at all. Mark, uh, where do you stand on this issue of sending more assistance to Ukraine? I honestly believe that we shouldn't be over there. Uh, I'm an ex-Special Forces soldier. I went to uh, Grenada and Lebanon. We didn't belong in Lebanon. We really need to let that all work itself out. Um, I, I just don't think that we need to lose another American life over there. It just isn't worth it to us. These people are valuable to us. These people don't need to die in the name of some other country when we can't even protect our own border, but we're trying to protect theirs. All right, Mark, thank you. Have a good afternoon. 512-836-0590. This headline reads, White House demands Speaker Johnson give Biden authority and funding to secure the border. It says that Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary for President Biden, Uh, took a fresh swing at Speaker Johnson today, demanding that he get moving on money and authority for President Biden to secure the border. Well, over the weekend, Biden said he wants to close the border. Then do it. Do it. Everything is in place. You need nothing from Congress to do that. And that's what Speaker Johnson is saying. You, on the first day... You took your little pin and you made all of the changes that have created the situation that we're in now. You can take your pin and reverse those just as easy as you did on day one. Do that. You don't need us. You don't need funding to do that. And in the meantime, we can come to some kind of agreement where we can get tougher on the border. And he one of the points that Speaker Johnson is making, he says, you know, this talk that is going on in the Senate right now allows for illegal still to enter into the country. He said that's not a secure border. There should not be one illegal entry into this U.S. 
Here's National Border Patrol Council President Brandon Judd speaking today. Uh, He was asked about these negotiations in Congress with the White House on more money and uh, other authorities on the border issues. We are not looking for a war with Iran. We are not seeking a conflict with the regime uh, in a military way. Um, And as I said in the the opening, we're uh, we're not looking to escalate here. This attack over the weekend was escalatory. Make no mistake about it. And it requires a response. Make no mistake about that. I will not get ahead of the president's decision making. All right. That was John Kirby. Sorry about that. Here's Brandon Judd, Border Patrol Council president. I would love to see legislation. And I'm sure that what <clears throat> Langford and, and everybody is working on <clears throat> is going to be beneficial to the border. But let's be clear that we don't have to have legislation. This administration, through executive action, could do what is necessary to secure the border today if they wanted to. Absolutely. Uh, Undoubtedly, they could. He could do that right now within the next 15 minutes and shut down the border. He's got the power to do that. Here's Senator James Langford. He's the Republican senator who is handling the negotiations for the GOP senators who are talking with Chuck Schumer and the team from the Biden administration. We're focused on how many people can we process quickly and then deport out of the country, not release into the country. It would be absolutely absurd for anyone to be able to propose something to say we're just going to slow the number of releases. We're focused on how do we actually enforce our border and get us back to zero people actually crossing the border illegally. Were you persuaded at all by some of Lankford's comments over the weekend? No, um, not at all. We already have laws on the books that would prevent that. We need to make sure that we have an administration and those that are tasked with doing the job at the border do the job and force what we already have. One aspect is the current law says if you're seeking asylum, you have to apply in the first country you come to. Correct. Not wait until you get here. If you don't do that, you get turned around and deported. He could make that happen with the stroke of a pen. Of course he could. It's again, we have the laws. We just need the enforcement to back it up. We don't need I mean, maybe we need to look at the structure of of getting in here legally, things like that. But the laws are there as far as illegal entry. Enforce the law. 512-836-0590. It's Mark, Melinda and Ed, 241 News Radio, KLBJ. Mark, Melinda, and Ed are on your radio at 99.7 FM or 590 AM. And you can stream the show live on your digital device via the free news radio KLBJ app. Now, here are Mark, Melinda, and Ed. Thank you for joining us. 246 Jack is here producing. The Associated Press is reporting the U.S. Navy will enlist individuals who did not graduate from high school or get a GED under the plan Navy recruits without an education credential, will still be able to join as long as they score 50 or above on the qualification test. The top score on that test is 99, so if they can score 50 or above, they'll be ready to go in the U.S. Navy. I don't like this one bit, Mark. They're lowering the standards too much. Uh, At least have a GED or graduate from a high school period. This kind of gives me shivers to think we're letting people going to let people in who make 50, 51 out of a 99 question test who may not have 
any common sense. I, I don't like this at all. Keep it at a GED level or a high school diploma. Last I checked, 50 was still failing. Sure. That, I mean, that's, yeah. Isn't that something? that's <laughs> not something to be proud of. And this story goes on to say they've looked at this on whether they should do this or not. Will it have a big impact? And then it said the only thing that they could find was those that score lower have a higher percentage of dropping out, not making it through boot camp. So our, if you can give a guarantee that boot camp will weed out those that just can't go forward, maybe we can talk about it. But I, I have some real concerns when you're saying, okay, if you can do 50%, we're, we're okay with that. Why, why have a test? The only time I would say you can lower it that much is during a wartime situation where we have an active war and you need bodies, you need people. A we draft? We, we're not there. We are not there yet at a, a world war type thing. But no, this is just you've got a. And Melinda's exactly right. When's the last time you took a test and got fifty or fifty one right and you passed it? Not going to happen unless there's a massive curve in your class. It's not going to happen. Uh, you can weigh in with your thoughts at five one two eight three six zero five ninety. The vice admiral in charge of recruiting told the AP that there are a lot of people who want to serve in the United States Navy, but they don't have the high school diploma or the GED. We need to find a way to get them into the Navy, and we think this is one avenue. He says he's already sent the word out to all recruiters, get in touch with the 2,442 people we rejected last year because they did not have a diploma Mm. or GED. We want them to start taking the test ASAP. Wrong. I'm sorry. You're wrong about this. You tell those people, sorry, you can't get in. Go get your GED. Study for three months. Study for a month, whatever it takes. But you've got to have that. We have a text here that says that requirement for the high school diploma or the GED wasn't about intellect. It was more about testing their commitment. Mm, Getting something done. Yeah. All right, let's go to Brad in San Marcos, 249. Mark, Melinda, and Ed on KLBJ. Brad, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. I have a lot of friends that were in the Navy, and I met a lot of people over the years. I was in the Army, but I did joint training. And a lot of the young people, uh, academics and book learning are just not their thing, and they get into an environment where a lot of your training is hands-on, and if you fail the training, they retest you or they do remediation and things like that. Uh, I want to believe that if these guys and gals were rejected last year, they've probably gone on and got good jobs and got some kind of a training. I know a lot of the jobs that you and I probably used to look down on pay very well now. You know, jobs that I was always discouraged from getting, like being a truck driver or a plumber. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of young people that can't handle academic stuff, they succeed in a uh, in a vocational type school, and that's what the uh, ultimately the military is for a lot of young people. It's a very taxpayer funded vocational program. That being said, uh, a lot of young people get rejected because they have the wrong tattoos or they're overweight and things like that. And I think uh, this idea it, it's it's very compassionate. Uh, I think the the score to look at though is called ASFAB, the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. And if you score low on the ASVAB, you're not going to be in line to get the really good jobs and the good training. They will have you doing uh, some what I call scut work, you know, 
and people that are stuck in those dead-end jobs tend not to re-enlist anyway. Uh, Brad, uh, this story does mention the uh, Armed Services Qualification Test, uh, and I'm trying to see if it is the same one as where they're now saying if you get a 50 or above, you can get in the Navy. Uh, Yeah, and as I told the screener, Mark, my, I, I was in the Army, and, and I met my fair share of lunkheads and, you know, very low-qualifying academic people. But the Navy is very technological, and you have to get in there, and they, they teach you and train you. And the last thing I want is a, a guy who is kind of academically deficient being there who could potentially push the wrong button and launch a missile strike or whatever or, you know, make the submarine crash into, you know, an iceberg or whatever. So I, I'm, I'm very leery about any of those people getting placed in really sensitive, super super intellect-requiring intellect jobs. Uh, a lot of that, the, the, the Navy people I know were what they called construction battalion or CBs. Yes. And, of course, everybody, everybody's seen the John Wayne movie. Well, those guys learn how to do electrical and plumbing and uh, carpentry, and, and, and they can actually go build a base. All right, Brad, thank you very much. And at one point in this article, uh, there's an official who does say, hey, there are certain jobs that we need to fill. They're Mm -hmm. important, but they're not the guys running the nuclear submarines. They're doing a variety of things for the Navy. And he says these people might be able to fill those jobs very well. Well, as I read this story, it's a, I get the impression that this test is about the physical part of it, the mental part of it, and the moral standards. I'm guessing you get, like, there's some things, the 50% isn't a good number to, like the moral standards. I would expect that everybody, you would want that moral standard to be extremely high. Of course you would, yeah. Um, as well as the physical ability and maybe the the mental or the education part of it can come last because there, I mean, there are a lot of people that, as Brad just said, that don't do well on test, but their common sense is well beyond the highest academic person. Mm-hmm. So that I can see. But when we're coming to the physical and the moral standards, I, I'm sorry. I want I want everybody to have I, high moral standards. I do too. And I want people who've shown that they can get a high school degree or a GED because I think that's very important. 254 now. We'll get you up to date with all the news just ahead at the top of the hour. And then much more to cover right here after the news. Mark, Melinda, and Ed. Dr. Mark Malone from Advanced Pain Care on how the spinal cord stimulator blocks pain signals bringing patients relief at last. Spinal stimulation is an implantable device consisting of two tiny wires connected to a battery that are placed alongside the spine. These wires emit a tiny electronic signal that blocks the pain signal that travels on nerves. Advanced Pain Care, 512-244-4272 or online, austinpaindoctor.com. 